Hi, and welcome to ECE Honestly with Kayla and Lisa. Here we discuss the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. We would like to acknowledge with gratitude that we live, work, and learn on the unceded and traditional territory of the Coast Salish, Kwikwitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Stolo peoples. So on today's episode, we are going to be talking about materials within a classroom. Um, what we allow, what we don't allow, and even what certain materials are made of. Um, there's a big debate right now on plastic or unnatural versus natural. Yes, and it really depends on what center you're in because everyone's philosophies can be so different and that is reflected in what is available to children and really how things are set up within a classroom. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about first and foremost, foremost is toys or blankets that are coming into a center. Now, at the center that I had worked at, if a child brought a toy into a center, the rule was that they could have it for maybe five to 10 minutes, but if they A, forgot that the toy was there and sort of just left it, that was a signal that they were done playing with it and we would just subtly put it in their cubby, or we would give them a warning of when we were gonna put it away because they may not have wanted to share it with another child, which is fair because it's their own toy, it's their own property, they don't have to share. But our philosophy within the center is that we share everything. So if something's coming in and it's not for everybody, then it needs to be put away into your cubby. So that's just for you. Mm -hmm. But again, with COVID restrictions now, that doesn't happen and outside toys are not allowed within a center. No, we um, we actually had to say that no outside toys are allowed in the center. The only things that are allowed that children are allowed to bring from home are comfort items. Mm -hmm. And that comfort item stays in the center. So mm -hmm. we don't have this back and forth thing. So what a lot of families um, have been doing is they will have like a home item of the, like a home version of the same um, comfort item and they'll have like a daycare version mm -hmm. so that it's the same thing technically but one stays at home and one stays at the center and it's good to do that as well because you always want to back up yes <laughs> backups are so important very very important um i know of a little girl who um she has an everest and everest goes everywhere with her and when I mean everywhere, I mean everywhere. And Everest took an unfortunate trip on the bus and oh. had a very long time until she finally made her way home because parents were able to find Everest again. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And this, the comfort toys are so important to children. And a lot of people think that they're something that you can just take away or even the comfort toys aren't something that should be out during the day. It's like a nap time restricted toy but yeah. it really shouldn't be that way because drop-offs are really hard we're also with COVID it's a brand new environment to sort of adjust and be mm -hmm. okay in and drop-offs are different right so having that extra time with something that makes you feel comfortable is more important than it ever was and I think um comfort toys again that comes to back to the philosophy of your center um and I have worked and even I want and not even so much about the center, but also personal um, views mm -hmm. um, or individual views on what is appropriate and what is not appropriate when it comes to comfort toys. I have worked with some people who were very 
anti-comfort toy. And I have worked with others who, you know, they say, well, if a child can grow an attachment to an item like this, you know, then that reflects a lot on, okay, they'll be able to build relationships with, with other people. If they're able to build such a huge bond with, you know, a stuffed animal or a blanket, mm-hmm. then they should be able to have that comfort, you know, with a, with another person. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal um, philosophy on comfort toys is if they need it throughout the day, then they need it throughout the day. Like, mm-hmm. is it really, like, is it hurting anybody if mm-hmm. a child wants to carry their stuffy, stuffy around all day? Granted, there are certain, um, not restrictions, but certain times when we say, okay, you know, it does need to go away, like meal times. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, and in That's that sense, we'll, we'll, we won't say it's going away and you'll never see it again. Um, in my last center where I worked in, we were fortunate enough to kind of have not an island, but a, a spot in our kitchen where we could see children as they were eating and they could see us. And so it was almost like a ledge. And so children who wanted to eat knew that they could put their comfort toy up high safely so that it was within reach, but it was still there, but it was not directly with them while they were having meals. So it's still within eye view. Yeah, it's visible. Yeah, it's totally visible. And it's there. It's safe. An adult is watching it. And then we're all, they're all done their meals. Then they can, you know, resume playing with it or whatever they need to do with it. And the other time that we say we'll put it aside is during um, diapering. Yeah, bathrooms or diapering. For sure. But for me personally, I've never had an issue with a child requiring a comfort toy. Or even soothers are a big one. Soothers are a huge one. Yeah. And I, being a new ECE, I had just followed what my senior had told me. I would just be like, okay, I'll follow your rules. I didn't really think much about it now, but it... Soothers are really important to some children. Yeah. There's, you know, a lot of stigma against soothers. And when the quote unquote soother fairy should come and take the soother away from the child or how to sort of move from the soother on to something else, like a different kind of comfort toy or blanket. And it's almost like we as the adults force that upon the child, which again, and I'm very guilty of this as well. And I have to, and I have to recognize that. I did do this um, very early on in my practice was, you know, the forceful taking of the soother maybe when a child was not ready. And mm-hmm. it's literally because the other senior adult, you know, senior educator in the room is telling me. That's the way to do it. Yeah. You have to do this. You know, not thinking about the why. They don't the get why. a choice. Yeah. The, the child doesn't get a choice in this. Which now looking back at it, like I feel all kinds of guilt mm-hmm. when, you know, looking back at this and... If that child is not ready to give up the soother and if that's something that they find comfort in now, you know, there's no reason why they can't have it. Like right now, I have a child who his soother is his comfort item Mm -hmm. and he's very well aware of his feelings. And it's and it's interesting how the soother has almost helped him recognize his feelings. Um, So I'll give you an example. He. When he first started with us, he was, ha- you know, he was only, what, 16 months. So he's still very young. Um, and the soother was the thing that brought him comfort. And so, but one of the things that we kind of had to establish was, okay, if your soother is there, it's there for you to calm your body. You know, if you have it in your mouth, that means we're now relaxed. Now we're calm. 
um, and we're not screaming. <laughs> so just to kind of be able to help him decipher, like when I have my soother is when I'm ready to be, you know, calm and relaxed. And when I don't have my soother, this is when I need to scream or bail or welt or whatever. Let my feelings, let my emotions out. And it's very interesting now to see that when he does get upset, he will come up to us and say, soother, 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 soother. And we're like, okay, we give it to him. He pops it in his mouth and he's like, okay, I'm happy. I'm good. I have my soother. This is what's bringing me comfort. But while he's wearing that soother, if something has happened or if he's feeling sad, he'll spit it out, give it to an educator and be like, no, I need to be sad right now. Mm -hmm. And he'll just cry. That's really... I really love that that's how it's sort of helping him self-regulate yeah. his emotions. And-, and and it's interesting too. And I, and I love the fact that at, he's not even two yet. At that age, he's able to recognize, you know what? I need to cry right now. So I'm going to take this out of my mouth mm-hmm. and I'm going to have a good cry. Which, you know, more power to you, buddy. Sometimes we need to cry. And I, I find a lot of the time educators don't want children to cry. Mm-hmm. Like, it's taboo to feel those emotions and just really let it out, let yourself feel that way. And it's a stigma that happens as adults, too. Yes. That if you're crying, then... You're somehow weak. Yeah. And for children especially, it's like you just got to be able to let that out. Even as an adult, sometimes yeah. it's like... Get and it out, and then it's amazing how much better you feel once you've been able to have a express good cry. that. And I think with children, too, the thing that we fail to realize is, especially for infants and toddlers, crying is their communication. Mm -hmm. They cannot say, I'm sad, I'm angry. It all comes out in a cry. Mm -hmm. And you can, if you really pay attention, you can really make a distinction between the I'm sad cries versus the I am angry cries. Versus the I'm just crying to get your attention and get my way cry. Yes. not really a cry because you will hear those. Yes, you will. (laughs) Yep. You will react to those very differently. And again, much like (laughs) communicate, you know, much like verbal communication has, you know, you can distinct between, okay, this person's angry, this person's sad, this person's happy by the way they speak to me is the same way that you can distinct between, again, an angry cry, a sad cry, or an I want attention cry. Exactly. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier, Kayla, that I just want to hop back to is when you have the security item on that shelf is safety is so important to the child. Yes. Who is going to be watching this so that I know that they are okay? Yeah. Right? And it's that whole thing about protecting. It's this protective mode that they go in about their item because it's so meaningful to them. Yes. And again, as the adult, you have to be very respectful to that, which is why when, you know, in with the people that I used to work with, um, what we literally had to sit down and say, okay, how are we all going to be consistent in what are the quote rules around children bringing their comfort toys? We all agreed that their comfort toy should be accessible to them all day if that's what they wanted. Um, and I think a lot of the times too, you know, many centers are reluctant to allow children to have their comfort toys all day because there's this fear that it's going to get dirty or it's going to get lost. Or, or it's, you know, a child won't engage with other children because of their comfort toy being there. Or yeah. if it's a soother, it's going to reduce their language development or, you know, because they're not talking, they're just observing other children play. So or it's restricted to nap time. Yeah. Or it's put in a cubby, which is, 
you know, in a center that we used to work in was way outside of the room. It's not like it was just not quickly... accessible to children. And it, it, even for us, it wasn't quick to hop yeah. over and get it because you have to make sure that everyone knows that you're quickly leaving to grab something. So I think that accessibility key that you've mentioned is really important. Yeah. And, and again, it shows respect to that child, which mm-hmm. is very, very important. Mm-hmm. I think many times adults feel that the child has to respect you because they're the child and you're the adult. Well, it's mutual. It's 100% mutual. I cannot expect a child to respect me if I have never given them any reason to do that. And Mm -hmm. it's the same in adult relationships. How can I expect you to give me respect Mm -hmm. when I have never given you reason to? And Even as an adult, my personal philosophy is I will always be nice to you until you have given me a reason not Not to be nice to you anymore. And I think children have that mentality from the get go. You know, I you really have to earn their trust Mm -hmm. and you have to basically prove to them that you are somebody worthy of trusting or you're Mm -hmm. somebody that they can come to. And it takes a lot Mm -hmm. because children will not just blindly give that to you. And they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And if they are blindly giving it to you, then you need to take that with respect and sort of understand where they're coming from and not quote unquote abuse or or take advantage of the fact that they will listen to you no matter what. No. You know what I mean? And this this whole item of respect and the golden rule and treating others the way you want to be treated, I think really relates to their materials that are within the room and whether or not we give children the respect and the authority to be able to handle certain materials within a room yes what is available on the shelf all the time what is put away what is teacher directed unfortunately yes and things like that and and i think too that comes back to this idea of safety um, so many times, you know, and I'll speak from an infant toddler lens because I work with infants and infants and toddlers, what certain people will give children is very, very limited. Mm-hmm. And with certain things, I do agree that it does have to be limited because it can be a choking hazard, um, or say, or, or uh, scissors. yes, you need to be monitored. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do we let children just run around with scissors? Absolutely not, because that's a safety issue. Um, but do we allow them enough? Um, I mean, do we do we allow them the freedom to be able to use materials? Or am I, as the adult, able to view the child as capable enough to be able to use something if I give them just the guidance to say, okay, this is what we're doing with this particular item so that we can be safe. Mm-hmm. But I'm still giving them the freedom to, you know, cut in whatever cut. way they want, not yeah. have your hand on their hand necessarily. But, yeah. You know, let them learn. Let them learn how in their own it. pace. Yeah. But still be able to be there while I'm watching them or mm-hmm. even certain um, things that we bring into the classroom. I know in many centers, there's still a lot of like the more traditional like Fisher Price toys of like the plastic and those um the things with the buttons and the colorful or very easy art materials yeah that have no mess yeah white glue and more pieces of paper yeah you know pencil crayons crayons felts and that's that's about what you get because i don't feel like cleaning up a mess today yeah 
And Which, the mess is not on the educator, by the way. No. That is part of learning. Learning is you put your stuff away afterwards. This is what a recycling box is for. This is during lunch. This is what the compost is yep. for. Like we are not here to be their servants. No. Even though we are serving their learning. Yeah. It's a big difference. It there one hundred percent is. And again, that goes back to do we view children as capable? Mm-hmm. And if we don't view children as capable, then we're doing, then we're always doing everything for them and we're limiting everything that they can do because we don't see them as being able to do more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, with the idea of infant toddler centers and what I have seen in more traditional roles being put out, a lot of it, yes, does have to do with how much money or how much accessibility does this center have? Mm -hmm. You will see in in many centers that are, in um what's the word i'm looking for in harder parts of town mm-hmm. um I, I don't know how else to put this and please correct me if Maybe i'm low income yeah parts of town i don't know there's no i don't know how we would describe that yeah um and again please please feel free to correct me um in in my wording um Maybe where the socioeconomic status is not as high. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so you will see a lot of things that are donated. And many a times things that are donated are, you know, the old used, uh, the Fisher Price um, learning centers where if you press green, it says green. Or if you press A, it says A. You know, if you flip this, it'll, it'll croak like a frog. Or if you flip that, it will uh, quack like a duck. And if you change the setting, now you can learn French. Um, and again, a lot of that is because it's all donated. Whereas if you go to centers that, you know, have a little bit more income or in, are in usually on college campuses, mm-hmm. you know, now you're talking about like the beautiful wood, wooden puzzles and the wood toys and the... Nothing plastic. Nothing, yeah, nothing, nothing plastic. plastic because... It's all natural. Yeah, you're, you know, children are touching things that are metal, that are made of glass. And it's refined natural. Like, we're not talking about things like we're just bringing in a block of wood, which those centers may do as well. But mm. even the little toys that are there, like... They are the trains carved, and the cars. They're carved beautifully. Yes, and they're not cheap. And they're not cheap. They're they're pricey. Um, but again, and that also speaks to I want to say too, if in certain centers that we have that even you and I have worked in, places that maybe do have that funding to be able to give their children, I guess those materials that are a little bit more or a little bit extra, mm-hmm. they choose not to because there is a quote safety issue mm-hmm. around it. You know, two year olds cannot touch glass. Two year olds cannot touch this. Two year olds cannot touch that. Well, why can't they, mm-hmm. you know, if we, if, and I think that also speaks to what is the intention of when you're being with children? Are you just being there for the sake of being there and letting them take care of themselves and you're giving them easy materials because you don't want to quote, create more work for yourself Mm -hmm. versus, okay, I'm going to bring out all these amazing items that maybe traditionally we have never seen, you know, this age group as being able to be with or interact with, but I'm going to like charcoal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I'm going to sit there and I'm going to intentionally watch what they're doing, see how, what they, what they create see how they explore this material, but I'm also going to show them that if they're all done, 
this is the towel where we need to wipe our hands on because charcoal gets everywhere. It does. We did charcoal exploration about a week ago and it was messy and, and it was alert, you know. Charcoal travels. It does travel. Like our, our floors were black because certain children, you know, they're much younger. They're still in that learning space of saying like, okay, I'm done with this. I want to go over there. And now the charcoal's all over the <laughs> all over the place and we have to bring them back and say, okay, when you're all done with charcoal, you got to wash your hands. Yeah. But again, you know, we did not limit that experience because it was going to be messy. You know, we we knew it was going to be messy. We knew charcoal was going to be mm-hmm. everywhere. But we also made the conscious decision to say, okay, one educator is going to sit here and just be with these children who are interacting and guide them and help them and, you know, help clean, clean them up when they're all done. Mm-hmm. But again, that was on us to say we... How do you set this up for success? Yes. So that it can be available and it can be a really exciting opportunity for them to engage with charcoal. And where a lot of centers are, that's a big no-no because it's too dirty. It, you don't have the time to clean it up because you don't want to make the time to clean it up. And you don't want it to unravel over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Right? You've limited yourself to things being the same every day or things being um you know there's no wiggle room for this and again that goes back to this i i can't remember if we spoke about this the idea of of schedule versus routine Mm -hmm. you know uh, we worked in a center that was very scheduled Mm -hmm. you know by nine o'clock all the diapers had to be done or by this time all of this had to be done or by this time everything else had to be done which is very stressful and you don't feel the support in order to do these kind of explorations no because everything has a time limit it's regimented to the t yeah it was like being in a like a military school is the best way that i could describe it and the thing that we noticed too was a lot of children were having behavioral issues mm. and you know looking back on this now and reflecting back on this now i th- i really do believe it was because a everything was so tight-knit and scheduled there was no wiggle room and children were not allowed to explore as freely as they wanted to mm. and you know when and again that goes back to the idea of does everybody have the same philosophy and does everybody hold the same values within a center? Because if I, as an educator, I'm saying I want to do these quote messy explorations Mm -hmm. because I believe that children should be allowed to dive, you know, head first or explore as freely as they want with, you know, paint or with charcoal or with whatever, without needing the restrictions of smocks and paintbrushes. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, just limiting it to your hands. Do we want to take our shoes off and stomp around? You know, are we allowing this freedom? And if other educators are saying, no, we don't believe in this because we're creating more work for ourselves, then my argument would be then you're really in the wrong field. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, you're saying you value children, you're saying you value childhood, you're saying you value Opportunity. opportunities, but you're not... You're, you're talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk. Yeah. You're not willing to actually take action to make any of these things come to life. Yeah. Within a classroom. Because, quote, it's too much work. And if it's yeah. too much work, then again... I don't want to do it. Yeah. Then you shouldn't be in childcare. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, when we talk about materials, a lot of the times there's an art shelf with the available materials on it. And um, a child that I was working with over the summer... One of the things that I 
was nervous to do but was inspired to do by one of my teachers at Capilano was to let him draw with a sharpie. I love that. Which is very, very taboo again. Yes. And not a material for children because it is permanent. I'll tell you, he maybe got one dot on his hand yeah. the entire summer because all we did was went over the rules and I said, listen, if you get this on your skin, it's going to stay and then we cannot use it anymore Yeah. until it comes off your skin so that he knows there's a, a natural consequence to totally. him having to use this, right? It's stuck on his skin and then it's like, well, I can't let you use this because yeah. you decided to draw on you instead of the material, right? And he loved it and his every time... He came in, I had a plethora of different things he could use, pastels, pencil crayons, like I had felts, I had charcoal, everything. He always wanted to use the Sharpie because mm-hmm. I think in a way he knew that I trusted him to use something that was permanent. Yeah, or that was, quote, and that, always reserved for adults. Yeah, and he was like, oh, I want to use a Sharpie. I want to use a Sharpie. And I don't know, I don't think his parents have ever let him use one but he was great with it and that's not something to hesitate towards just because you're a child therefore you cannot do this yeah I think it's the same with clay and play-doh and you know the different kind of goops that you make it's what do you think that they should be able to have access to Mm -hmm. and to use within the classroom and And are you giving them that accessibility and are you allowing for these experiences to happen like you said with this charcoal and them engaging with it freely or is it a cookie cutter material where this is what you do? Yeah. Yeah. This is what you do. Here's a yellow piece of paper. I'm going to help you cut out black stripes. Then you're going to glue it on with white glue and we'll stick it up on the wall and all look the same. Like to me, cookie cutter art does not have any value. I hate cookie cutter art and I hate with a passion the term free art. Yeah. It's so contradicting to me. And I, it, it's funny too because I've talked about this with other people and other older people that are not in early childhood. And they said, well, that cookie cutter art can be good because it teaches them that this is this is what something looks like. And I, I get that to a degree, but it's like I can just post a picture of a bumblebee near the activity yeah, and just put out whatever. It doesn't have to be yellow or black. It could be yeah. literally anything. And that is just a propagation for them to create what their idea of a bumblebee is or you know and it you know it's not even about like it has to be a bumblebee that they're creating like what is it about this photo of a bumblebee that is inspiring this maybe you want to draw a flower maybe you just want to draw pirate ship yeah and if you want to draw pirate ship good for you or you're drawing like you got a sting on your leg so you're drawing a person like with a sting or there's so many more things that can come out of it and much more dialogue that can come out of it rather than a factory line of okay, you're done, you're done, you're done. Yeah. And then the materials really become undervalued. Like, it's just, do. what is the point of even having these and if, it's, you know, you can't, you're only allowed to use them in one particular way. And I want to say that too, it's not even just undervaluing the materials, you're undervaluing that child mm-hmm. by basically coming back to this idea of I am the educator, therefore I am almighty and knowing and I will show you how, how to, to do, do everything versus yes i am the educator but that does not mean that i am the all-knowing like i'm not god by being the educator and mm. you are not um one of the things that we always learn about is you know viewing the child as the blank slate you know mm-hmm. the child is 
an empty vessel and we must fill it with knowledge, not understanding that children already come with their own knowledge. Mm -hmm. And it's our job to help them unleash this knowledge through, through different, um, interactions, through different materials, through whatever way that they basically want. And finding different ways to uncover and discover their meaning of things. Yes. Their knowledge making. Like it's, it's co-constructive. It happens with other children, with materials, with educators. It's not a sole process. And another material and a center that I wanted to just touch base on is water. I love water. Water play. I love water play. I find it's kind of controversial when I was in university, when I was in one of my courses, because the teacher really wanted us to think about what it means to engage in water play Mm -hmm. and the value we have of water here versus in other places and if it's really something we should be doing when other places don't have access to clean water and is it a waste or what about rainwater but that gets you know mildew collected in it so you can't use that in the center and mm-hmm. so there's a, I haven't actually done water play in a really long time unless it's just like through a sprinkler or like watering my own plant totally but in a center what are your thoughts about that because I'm kind of I can see both sides, but I'm, I still like water play. I think I under- it's really important. I understand where that educator is coming from because, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's interesting you bring that up because that's also a topic that we have had with food. Mm-hmm. I hate when children, and maybe hate is a strong word, but I really have a problem when children play with their food. Mm-hmm. Um, and like as an activity or at the table? At the table. And when we try to use food as an activity. Like, let's cut apples in half and then stamp them. It's kind of wasteful, that sort of thing. More than anything, I just... And it kind of goes back to this idea of what your your professor was saying. Like, Mm -hmm. there are people in this world who go without eating. Mm -hmm. And when we use food as something to play with, I feel like we're undervaluing it, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it really speaks to our privilege that we, that we have all this food that we have the luxury to use as art materials Yeah, when some people luxury to waste. Yeah, exactly. The nutritional value of it. Yeah. And where some people go to bed hungry at night. Like I had a debate with a, with a, um, with an educator when I actually first started in ECE um, and she, she had a lot more, you know, she was probably 20 years in the field Mm. and I was like not even a year into the field. um, And I had a child who was playing with his yogurt and it was very much a sensory item for him. Like he had his hands in and he's looking to see how is it running down in his hands and, and whatever. And I was like, okay, well your yogurt's not for playing with your yogurt is for eating. And this educator was like, oh, but, you know, it's a sensory item. Like, let let him play with it. And I was like, no. Like, that that's food. He should be eating that. And if he wants to play with it, then we should find something yogurt-like mm-hmm. or that has yogurt consistency or a yogurt texture Absolutely. that is not yogurt for this child to, again, have that sensory experience that he's clearly saying he wants, but it should not be done with his food. It mm-hmm. should be done with something else. Something similar too. I really like that. And I strongly agree with that too. I mean, I remember when I was first doing my education for this and someone suggested or a teacher was explaining an activity that had been done with pasta noodles and pasta sauce as a sensory experiment in a water table. And I was just like thinking to myself, I can't believe 
how how much of a waste that is. Yeah. To have that as material. And noodles are a great source of play sometimes. Like yeah. I, I've seen, you know, colored noodles and stuff that are just hard and like that I don't really have as much of a problem with, but it was actually cooked. It looked pasta. like a meal. It looked like a meal in the water table that they could just stick their hands in and leave. And I kinda I didn't really understand what the value or the point of that activity was and why they had to use food in order to do it. Yeah, you know? when we can create so many different things, you know, that maybe have that same consistency but are not that but are not that material. Yeah. And going back to the idea of water, again, I completely understand where your professor's coming from because water is also very much speaks to your privilege, you know, or do you have the luxury of you know, even here in Vancouver, um, we have the luxury of being able to just open our taps and drink drink straight from the kitchen mm-hmm. tap because it's clean. Yeah, or and if, and if we you, won't we won't get sick. Or if your water glass is like warm, if you don't want to put an ice cube in it, you can just dump it out and get cold water again. Yeah, or <laughs> you know, having the luxury to buy bottled water, which is a big thing. And there's tons of different companies with bottled water. It's and crazy. my, you know, and how expensive they are too, and how you know where where they're sourced from. And then you have again people in the, around the world who don't have access to clean yeah who don't have access to clean running water Mm -hmm. and i i understand where where this educator is coming from in terms of allowing children to play with water i personally like water play just because i find that it is very helpful um for children i find it soothing Mm -hmm. um and i've always I've always noticed, like, I've always noticed how much joy it brings children just to be able to even, like, splash. I don't like putting smocks on children in water and when they're playing in water tables because I feel that that's telling them you're limited to what you can do. Mm-hmm. In the same way that I don't same believe in... Yeah, same I don't believe mm-hmm. in smocks when it comes to any sort of art material because it limits them. Unless... We're talking like acrylic paint just because that stains. Mm -hmm. But even then, that would be for an older age group, um, you know, who was able to have more control, for lack of better words. Um, Water play does bring a sense of community, too. It does. Because I find that out of all the different um, areas, not that they should be sectioned off, but the different types of materials that are put into a classroom... Water always seems to generate and just draw children in. Mm-hmm. There's something about it that they just love. They and gravitate that's why towards it. I feel like this is such an interesting topic about is water play an appropriate material or not? Right? Yeah. And I may guess in that sense too it would be if we're going to take water out of a classroom because we we understand the value behind it, then are we allowing children outside to splash in mud puddles? Are we allowing them to you know, to, to stick their hands in, in the outside environment, Mm -hmm. you know, how, again, what is limited and what is not limited. Right. I think it's a really interesting idea of materials and what's, what's being made available in different centers, because as we said earlier, it's completely different for each center Mm -hmm. and you really have to, I think when you are looking to join a center, that's one of the things that you should ask is what is the availability of materials Mm -hmm. and what are you guys or what does the center believe about materials 
and children. What are the philosophies? You know, are there limitations? You know, do you use smocks if you don't believe in smocks? Do you use smocks if you do believe in smocks? Do you believe in routine versus a schedule? It all comes back to finding that same place that aligns with what you believe in. Mm-hmm. That wraps up this episode. Kayla and I are really happy that you guys were able to join us for another one. Thank you so much for listening in. Please let us know if you have any comments or questions about materials in a center. This is something we're both passionate about and we would really love to hear from you guys on this. Or even on just the language, I want to say, because I had a hard time trying to figure out how to appropriately uh, come across a very sensitive topic. If you have any suggestions on the language or the correct terms in which we could use, again, we would love to hear from you because as educators, we are always learning and we are always challenging ourselves. Send us an email at easyhonestly at gmail.com. Or again, you can always DM us at easyhonestly on Instagram. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Mm-hmm.